Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Plutov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. I'm going to do a little more again from Yoko Daishi's, what they call the Song of Enlightenment, or um, the Realization Wei Zong, or it's translated. Yoko Daishi was a Chinese Zen master who belonged to the Tendai sect, uh, and he died somewhere around 7, 19, in the Christian era. <laughs> he went to um, Weining to have his um, enlightenment experience verified, <clears throat> and uh, out of which meeting came about the uh, what they call a platform sutra. You all remember that from last week. Anyway, he says further along in this thing, you don't all remember it from last week, nobody remembers anything. <laughs> I don't know. Sometime I'm going to get up here and I'm going to do the same thing over again for four <laughs> times in a row and see if some of it sinks in. No, not a bad idea, is it? No. <laughs> anyway, he says further on down in this thing, uh, when he's about to end it, he says, we get rid of illusion and we acquire the truth. But this is discrimination. Our mind is cleverly false. All principles are no principles. They have no relation to spiritual perception. It never leaves this place and is always perfect. When you look for it, you find you can't see it. You can't get at it, and you can't be rid of it. When you do neither, there it is. When you are silent, it speaks. And when you speak, it is silent. <coughs> now that's Bly's translation. Suzuki did it a little differently. You know, He says, when one attempts to take hold of the true, by abandoning the false, this is discrimination, and there are artificialities and falsehood. When the disciple, not understanding what the mind is, is given to mere discipline, he is apt indeed to take an enemy for his own child. This inner light is beyond both praise and abuse. Like unto space, it knows no boundaries, yet it is right here with us, ever retaining its serenity and fullness. It is only when you seek it that you lose it. You cannot take hold of it, nor can you get rid of it. While you do neither, it goes on its own way. You remain silent, and it speaks. And you speak, and it remains silent. The great gate of charity is wide open, with no obstructions whatever before it. Hmm? So what are you looking for? It's right there. When you do neither, where are you when you're doing neither?
one is speaking, that is giving a talk, giving a lecture, whatever. It's customary, or that is, it used to be customary. It's not so much today anymore. But it used to be customary uh, to define what it is that he or she is going to talk about. Hmm? If one is writing a book, or one is going to lecture on logic, or on grammar, one begins with the question, what is logic? Or what is grammar? After all, nobody would write a book about minerals without first explaining what is meant by mineral. Hmm? You're going to write a, uh, uh, or give a lecture on law, you're going to first say something about law, aren't you? Or define what law is. Now, today, however, and there, people are not so apt to do this, to give these kinds of definitions, saying that what is meant by the word grammar, by the word law, by the word logic, by the word religion, you know, is contained within the framework of what is presented, be it a book or be it a talk. Hmm? And when you have read the book or when you have heard the talk, then you will know what is meant by the term mineral or law or logic or religion. Um, I think the laws of grammar are not too difficult to define, or what law itself is, is not too difficult to define. But what about when you come to the word religion? <clears throat> the word religion has been in use for thousands of years. Hmm? It's in our vocabulary and has been handed down and handed down and handed down. But what the word meant kept changing from century to century to century. Cicero, way back then, said that the word religion, religier, meant to gather up again. And with this, he had the word uh, negler, which means to neglect, to gather up again. These are the origins of these words, huh? So we had religio, which meant originally attention and reverence. Deligio meant to take up, to esteem, and to love. Diligence, huh? We have now. Neglio is n to neglect. You don't take up. Uh, to leave it entirely unnoticed. And intelio is to gather up together with other things, to gather up a group of things, to arrange so that you can understand the intelligence, huh? Yeah. Do you observe the language that you use? In the epic poem Ovid, we find reference to religion, religiere, as he called it. And he says in this, the difficult door was found by the thread which was gathered up again. Then the word changed, the meaning of the word changed, and religio meant uh, uh, reverence for an oath. See, now it was not reverence for something in here, but now for an oath. 
fear of the gods. And some people are still there, you know. They are fearful of God. And so they think they have got religion. Hmm? And then a few centuries later, they began to speak about a given man's religion, meaning his faith in the gods or his observations of ceremonies and rituals until it came to the time when the entire system, uh, whichever one you prescribe to, was called a religion. And that's about where we're at today. Yeah. So, in looking at this term, the definition of the word religion seems to have as many explanations as there are sex in the world. Hmm? And, you know, there is a, in some people, a hostility between what you are and what I am. Never mind religion. It's, you know, as such. It's what sect do you belong to? And then, there, of course, there are those people who think that the ceremonies and the rituals of the uh, Chinese, in the, that we find in the Chinese temples and in the Buddhist temples, you know, and in the uh, Roman Catholic temples, it did nothing but a superstition. Hmm. Then we come to somebody like Kant, who said that uh, religion was a morality, uh, that one should look at uh, one's moral duties as a divine command. And to him, that constituted religion. But he qualifies this, you see. And he says that the duties must be of the sort that we are directly conscious of. I mean, uh, I must do what I must do would be uh, not because anybody told me to do it. Uh, you know, if, if a child, teenager says, well, I must go clean up my room, you know, that's not being directly conscious of a divine command. That's the command of mama, isn't it? Yeah. See, so any outward authority was to him a concession to human weakness. But morality was a listening to this within oneself of doing what needed to be done. Hmm? Like some people say, you know, I must sit now for meditation. I, I'm doing what needs to be done. That's morality, and that to Kant was religion. Yeah. Then uh, immediately after Kant came Fichte, you know, and he said that, well, religion is knowledge. See. And uh, it is a knowledge that gives us an insight into ourselves. And it is this knowledge, this insight, which answers our highest questions, let us say our most profound questions, huh? and uh, gives us harmony within. That to him was, was religion. And then comes Schleiermacher, and he said that religion is our consciousness of our absolute dependence on something which determines us and upon which we cannot determine. You've read histories of philosophy, haven't you? Go all through this. And Hegel disagreed with it, you know. And he said, if, if dependence is religion, then our dogs would be the most religious <laughs> things on earth, huh? See? And he said, instead, it should have perfect freedom. That would be religion. 
Then there was uh, Comte in France and Feuerbach in Germany. And they turned it around and they said that uh, <clears throat> man himself, mm -hmm, subjective, the subject as well as the object, And in this way, religion became self-love, which he called a universal law. There are those who say that they love God. Could it be that this is a projected self-love? that uh, by placing it on an unknown, that this love, on an unknown which you call God, then you can see this love, and actually, if you were to make it subjective instead of objective, that it would be self-love. Hmm? Let me think about it a little bit somewhere down the line. Now, uh, what about within you? What about uh, uh, the yearning that you have? Maybe, maybe it's a yearning to know more about yourself. Uh, maybe it's uh, just a yearning that you don't know where to put. It's just something in here that's kind of like a hunger, you know, kind of drives some people, you know, to be about their father's business. Uh, in this sense, there was a man by the name of Max Müller who called it then a faculty, a potential energy. Religion was a potential energy, which in spite of any of our common sense and in spite of our reasoning and our logic, <clears throat> in spite of, you see, allowed us to perceive the infinite. Hmm? that without this faculty that we have, not even the rituals of the aborigines would be possible. They have it. And we are endowed with this potential energy. It is inherent in us. No one is born without it, no human being. And while it is true that in some it is potential and, let us say, very latent, hmm? and in some it has risen to a very bright awareness, and in some it is still rising, you know. And we are also aware that for uh, one uh, in whom this energy is still latent, you know, really potential, so that it's easily covered over, uh, mostly dormant there, but, you know, really covered over. It is very difficult for such a one to understand the need that another person has in whom it is in the foreground. They don't understand it. They can't understand it. Hmm? How can someone who is uh, flailing around, shall we say, interested in everything else, but how can such a one understand the need of a person who is driven by this energy? You can't. You're no way. Hmm? You cannot expect 
a child that is in kindergarten to understand college exams. Hmm? No. So, being we are as we are, you know, we try to understand that somebody could be here and somebody could be there and somebody could be there and somebody could be here and we allow them where they are. Hmm? Because you can't force them to see your way. It is an impossibility. Now this faculty that we have, and sometimes it is called the energy of the mind, has been labeled intuition, religious intuition. It is not thinking, and it is not feeling. To reach the core of oneself, one has to, shall we say, dig deep, or we could say penetrate, to penetrate huh? into consciousness. And feeling is not the instrument for this particular kind of work. Hmm? To reach this innermost, you know, which is full of vitality, huh? one must penetrate, not with the intellect, and not with the feelings, and not with the senses, with what? Hmm? This intuition, huh? existential intuition, it has been called because it is grounded in the experience of existence. Existence, huh? Sense intuition. Yeah. Intellectual intuition. Both need something to stand against. You can think and think and think and think and all of a sudden, oh yeah, that's what it is. Huh? That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah. Religious or spiritual intuition, there is no object and there is no subject. There is no relativity. Uh, so what do we got? Well, we could say we have kind of an isness. It's not relative, so it's absolute. Hmm? There is no this and there is no that to put up against it. See. It is. What else are you going to do with it? This kind of perception. Hmm? And along this line, there was an old Chinese Zen master and by the name of Seppo. And he gave a talk. They all give talks. They all say, don't talk, but they talk. <laughs> hmm? And this Seppo said to his monks, don't talk about the mysterious. Mm -mm. Do not talk about the soul. Do not talk about the mind. Do not talk about the essence. You know. If you don't talk, all of a sudden, there comes out something altogether solitary. Altogether solitary. It is like a huge mass of fire. When you approach it, your face is scorched. It is almost also like the ancient sword. When you try to touch it, your life will be at stake. If you tarry and bide your time thinking, you will be left behind. Now that 
quote is, I think, from case number 22 of the Blue Cliff Records, or the Hekigansho Roku, as it is called, which has about, which is a compilation of about a hundred koan and precedes the Mumonkan. which is another bunch of records of koan. Yeah, well, Chinese koan. Um, there are those who have answered all of these koan. They've gone through the whole thing. Incredible. Hmm? Anyway, this Seppo, in his teaching, uh, he very often used the staff. You know, we have, he, you know, they, they used to carry a staff with the little iron rings and they would and beat the monks and all that with them. Huh? You know, we have a little staff here too. Yeah. But he used his to show his experience. Yeah. And he would lift it up and when he was talking to the monks and he would say, this is meant for the second and third degrees of humanity. And so one day a monk came forward and he said, if you happen to meet a superior person, what would you do? And Seppo threw this staff on the ground and, you know, and he went away and leaving this inquisitive monk standing there all by himself. So uh, Uman, who was a younger contemporary of Seppo, uh, criticized him for doing this. He heard about it, and he criticized him. And he said he is destructive and unmannerly. So this Uman was also a teacher. And so he got through saying this, and the monk came up and you know, said to him, what would you do if you were he? And, and Uman took up this, his staff and he beat him. <laughs> yeah, that's Chinese Zen. You know, it came about in a harsh time for these people. And so it was harsh. It's gruff, you know. Today it's kind of soft. Now, on hearing all of this, don't raise your eyes like that, Willie. It is soft compared to what it was. You have it softer than anybody here, sitting here. Genyo was another teacher. And, uh, you know, in front of the class one day, he raised his staff. And then he said to a monk, what is this? And, of course, the monk going to play it safe and says, I don't know, sir. And Genzo says, you don't even know a stick? And then he made a hole in the earth. Oh, he dug it out a little bit. And he stood his staff erect in it. And he said to the monk, do you understand? No, sir, I do not. You don't even know what a hole is? Yeah. So then Genyo puts his staff over his shoulder and says, but now you understand. No, sir, I do not. Hmm? And Genyo, you know, he says, a homemade stick is carried over the shoulder, and the presence of all people is disregarded. I go unhesitatingly among hundreds of thousands of mountains. So what are these teachers trying to do? They're trying to bring into play this intuition this intuitive knowing, it is called in India when they call it pranya, this intuitive knowing, wisdom. The Christian mystics of long ago used to call it the noesis, so that you had this noetic faculty, the intuition, huh? And it's with this faculty, this energy, with which we see directly into our own nature. It's you penetrate yourself with this, not with your thinking, not with your feeling. It is the experience then 
of existence which we cover over. Hmm? Images, things, objects, our world. It's a covered world, you know. It's dust on the mirror. Somebody agrees with me. Hmm? Okay. So the word then, religion, uh, is a peculiar word. Huh? It's an elusive word because you can't catch hold of it. And there are those scholars and people in logic, you know, who say that the mystics are absurd. I mean, after all, religion is religion. Yellow is yellow, love is love, and God is God. But none of this says anything about, well, say yellow is yellow. Well, what have you said about yellow? All you've done is repeat yourself. You've said nothing about the phenomenon yellow, right? And mostly so, you know, as far as religion is concerned, to a Christian, the only real religion is Christianity, and the Buddhists think that the only religion is Buddhism, and the Hindu thinks the only religion is Hinduism, and so with the Mohammedans and the Jains and the Parsis and, and the Jews and, and you name it, huh? Hmm? And so it becomes quite simple then. You put yourself in a category and you stay there. It's like the little girl who was asked, you know, what about God? And she says, well, that's easy. God is a Baptist. <laughs> that's what she was, you know. So, so this is childish thinking. Huh? Yeah. However, as people, men and women, we do mature. We're supposed to, huh? You don't stay in kindergarten forever. And today, there are those who are not so dogmatic. And we do realize that you can read the Koran without becoming a Mohammedan. And you can read the Gita and not be a Hindu. And you can read the Talmud and not be a Jew. Hmm? And all these, because of printing, all of this has become available to us. We should use it, huh? Use it to mature. We should avail ourselves of what is available. All these different doctrines, how are they different and how are they similar? You know, use it to become less dogmatic. You know, open your minds. How else are you going to find freedom? Then we had another definition of this religion, and he called it a this tailor. He called it the belief in unseen things. That was our religion. That was religion. the belief in unseen things. Well, do you believe in unseen things? Indeed, indeed, huh? You look at each other and you see a body and certain colors of hair and skin. And because of actions, you see certain responses and emotions and ways of thinking and behavior patterns. Have you ever seen the person? The individual. We call ourselves individual. Have you ever seen the individual? The solitary, that which cannot be divided. Hmm? You look in a mirror. Have you ever seen yourself? Or your image? Or the images of others? 
last week there was a full moon. Have you ever seen the moon? And we rely on things not seen. Hmm? We believe that matter is very substantial, that the ground that we walk on is solid, that our body is solid, walking on solid, hmm? that the chair that you're sitting in is solid. But the scientists, as well as the mystics, have long said there is nothing solid. Hmm? That we call what we call matter is just how we see vortices of energy. Hmm? And the how, of course, is our sensory perceptions. You know? So the matter is really energy massed. And we say, oh, that's a thing! That's an object, and we give it a name, and we think we know all about it. We haven't even seen it. Terrific, huh? Anyway, religion is an inexpressible experience. So to try to talk about, we talk about everything that it is not. See? And this is the approach of this Yoko Daishi. He eliminates. He keeps saying, this is not religion, and 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 that's not religion. He eliminates, but he never says what religion is. It has to come out of you. Hmm? Eliminate what it is not. And then it is up to you to go into that which is, what shall we say, left behind after you have eliminated everything and there's something, you know. And if you penetrate that, you go into that, then you will know. What are you going to know? Yeah. Each of us has to go into it for himself or herself. Huh? And each of us has to make that effort. And effort is necessary because it is not something that happens accidentally. We have to nurture this that is in us. If you try to avoid the religion of yourself, this particular energy, hmm? and I'm not talking about borrowed religion. I'm talking about what is intrinsically here, which you are born with. The huh? religion. If you try to avoid this, you become false. You falsify yourself. Somewhere in the whole thing, we become fearful. We're afraid to look any further. We're afraid to penetrate. Have you ever asked yourself why I get to a place and I can't go any further and I don't want to go any further, really? And after a while, you know, it gets tedious sitting there because you won't go any further. Why are you so afraid of yourself? Because it is unseen? You've never seen yourself. Is that why you're afraid of yourself? We have many different kinds of hunger. We are physically hungry, emotionally hungry, mentally hungry, and spiritually hungry. 
we can be. And they are real hungers. And there are those who deny themselves this hunger. I mean, it is uh, a spiritual hunger is, is easier to cover over than a physical hunger. And a mental hunger is easier to cover over than an emotional hunger, I think. Anyway, people try to shun this hunger in themselves. They try to avoid this hunger in themselves. And then they go around eating a bunch of stuff that's not worth eating because they want to cover it over. And they are very close to poisoning themselves. Yeah. You do that mentally, emotionally, as well as physically. You know, communism has become a religion to some because the hunger is there. And they are idealists. They have to idealize something. And that's why a lot of people get into communism anyway, isn't it? It's an ideal. Perfect world, we're going to have utopia and everybody's going to be the same. Huh? And so now we have the Liberation Catholic Church. That's in South America, basically. But it, and you all, you've heard of it. Uh, the Liberation Catholic Church, which uh, the Pope is, you know, he went down there to, to talk against it because communism and the Catholic Church have come together in South America. They are embracing one another because the Church has not given to these people enough to eat. Food on the table, and food for the heart, and food for the mind. Hmm. See? As humanity, we have done, and we are doing, and we will continue to do, evidently, some very strange things with ourselves. Because we falsify. We live in a great many contradictions. We're caught very often in contradictions. Where on one hand, we try to create something, and on the other hand, we try to destroy something. One half of your energy is moving in one direction, and the other half of your energy is moving in another direction. And what happens? Paralysis. Have some heat again. So there are thousands of people that are psychologically, spiritually paralyzed. Now, a, 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 an individual, a given one, generically we'd say a man, huh? a woman, a person. <laughs> it's today you don't know how to say anything. I don't. One who is not caught in a lot of contradictions, we say, is a simple person. Yeah? Leads a simple life. Has a life of simplicity. Has not got all these contradictions to be caught up in. To a simple person, God is very available. Hmm? Because a life of simplicity is one of innocence. And except ye become as a little child, ye shall not enter the kingdom. Hmm? A simple person that is not caught in the contradictions can move this way, can move this way. It isn't paralyzed in between. Huh? Yoko Daishi says we get rid of illusion and we acquire the truth. But this is discrimination. Our mind is cleverly false. Hmm. 
how to get rid of illusion. So this world is, a, and in India we have this thing that's for so long, you know, and that we, it is so in the world psyche that we use this term maya, and we seem all to know what it means. It means illusion, huh? And we live in this maya. Yeah? Well, how am I going to get rid of this illusion? I know. I'm going to get the truth. Hmm? And so I go running out to get the truth. Yeah? If I know the truth, the world of illusion will be left behind. Ah, so. <laughs> uh, what about having the truth and still knowing that this world is illusory? It is illusory. It's images. We're still going to, as long as you're plopping around on this earth, you're going to be able to use these eyes and ears and nose and mouth and your hands, huh? Your senses. And as long as you use your senses, you're going to have images, because that's what it does. That's your world, huh? But a man can renounce this world, a person can renounce this world, and say, well, this world is illusion, and therefore I'm going to go live in the Amalia Mountains. Yep. So to that person, this world is unreal, and it's illusion. Well, if it is unreal, how are you going to renounce it in the first place? Hmm? And if it's not real, what's the point of escaping? You just, it's not real. <laughs> see? So, <laughs> you see the world, huh? It is illusory. It is not an illusion. It is illusory. It is a sense world. There's a world, but we see it not quite as it is because of our senses. Hmm? So see the world, encounter it, confront it, don't be paralyzed by it. Hmm? And if you will do that, you will soon see the difference between reality and phenomena. When you get rid of illusion and you acquire the truth, hmm? that's discrimination. How can you acquire something that you already have? The truth is that you are alive. You exist. Your very existence is truth. But do you know your existence? Hmm? Your consciousness is truth. Your awareness is truth. But somehow this is too simple. Huh? Hmm. So, you know, I must make a big production out of it. How else can I go tell the teacher what happened unless there is a big production? Hmm? <clears throat> truth is not an object that you're going to go and catch hold of like that, you know, and say, look, see what I got. Hmm? Truth is where you live. Hmm? The Chinese Zen calls it Tao, huh? <clears throat> Truth is your reality. <laughs> the mind is very clever. And not only can, but does go right on tricking you. The mind says, you know, it can say, renounce the world. First of all, the mind is very greedy. You watch it. You just watch your mind. First, it wants to have all the good things. Don't give me any adversities. No, 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 no. Just give me all the good things. You know? Children. That's what we are. And after a while, it becomes disappointed, you know. Or maybe you have all the good things. So the mind then becomes satiated. Anyway, now it says, well, this is all nothing. Just 
nothing. See? Let us be off and find the truth. See? And gaily we go on our way again. Hmm? This is good and that is bad, and this is sin and that is virtue. This is not real. I must find the real. Discrimination. Hmm? There is a state of consciousness that is called non-discriminatory, non-discrimination. And the world is in harmony. It always is, whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not. <clears throat> if and when you are in this non-discriminatory state, there is no evil. None. There's none to be found. But at the same time, there isn't any good. Because these are the opposites that we play against each other, good and bad. Hmm? Everything is just harmony. If you want everything to be good, you've got to have something bad, because if you didn't, you wouldn't know when good came along. You can't have hot without cold. You can't have near without far. You can't have high without low. And I've ding-donged at this so long, you all sit there and agree with me, don't you? When are you going to learn to think this way? Huh? To speak this way? To act this way? It's a relative. It's a relative world in which you live. Once upon a time there was a man, and he liked to collect things. And um, his house was full of unnecessary baggage. And he collected all kinds of things. He had no time to see what he really had, and of course he had very few friends to come and visit. <laughs> but he had old chairs and old tables and old radio sets. And you ask him why, and he says, well, you never know. Someday it might be useful. <laughs> and woe be the day that I throw anything away. <laughs> Immediately I need it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this man, one day he, was, he, did, he had a friend, and he went for a walk with a friend. And by the side of the road, he picked up a thrown-away bicycle handle. I don't do that. <laughs> And the friend says, well, what are you doing with that? And he says, well, it ought to be worth a couple of dollars, you know. And he says, I've, you know, in the past, I've picked up other parts. Sooner or later, I'm going to have enough to make a bicycle. Yeah, he had one wheel and one pedal, one chain, and one day he died. <laughs> See? Leaving a house full of junk. What are you going to leave? Yeah. What about what goes on in in this head, huh? Do I see bicycle handles, pedals, huh? strange things that you have gathered from hither and yon? I see. Uh huh. Who's going to inherit all that junk? You might think about it, huh? So one day you close yourself off and you go into a room and you take a paper and a pencil, take lots of paper. Half an hour you're going to spend there. And you're going to write down everything that comes into your head. You mustn't miss a thing. Write down everything that comes into your head. Half an hour. The pedals will come and the pedals will go and the bicycle handles will come and the bicycle handles will go to be charitable. huh? <clears throat> all of this is all the time going on with you. All the time. You don't notice it because it's in the background but it's there all the time. The mind is forever going, forever, ever, 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 ever. Huh? It surrounds you 
what is going on in your mind. It hovers over you like a cloud. And you cling to it without even knowing what's going on. Furthermore, you must look at this so that you can see that this cloud that is hovering over you is not even interested in you. That's a shocker. That's what's going on in the mind. It's not interested in me. <laughs> Poor little me. <laughs> yeah. It never leaves this place and is always perfect. You know, we're the ones that go rushing around. Where are you rushing to? Hmm? Where are you rushing to? We're not expected to go and to go and to go and to go. Because God is not somewhere else. God is sitting right in here. In all of you. Hmm? Just be still. Just be silent. Huh? And you will see it never leaves this place. It will always be perfect. Hmm? Ramana Maharshi used to say, all you need is your own permission. Permission from you to you. Hmm? Oh, but I'm not perfect. Oh, but I'm not worthy. Hmm? Oh, I have so much work to do on myself. Hmm? Face it. You never will be perfect. No. But, you know, that which resides within you, that you call the truth, it is already perfect. You know, even Jesus said, Do, Why callest thou me good? I'm not good. Only the Father is good. Hmm? Yeah. So when we sit here with this not worthy and this not perfect and I've got so much work to do, that's a cop-out. Huh? Look at the tensions all this creates. And so that the future becomes much more important than now. Hmm? The present, what you've got now, the only thing that you've got now, huh? is this now, is this present, and you throw it all away for something in the future. So you're supposed to live now, you're supposed to exist now, you're supposed to enjoy now. You know, God has given you all the keys. Yeah. When you look for it, you can't, you find you can't see it. No, we look, forget that we are it. We we're always the tenth monk. You know, in the very looking is where God is hiding. It's not in that which you seek. It is the seeker. So you settle down and let your heart become very calm and very quiet. And when you look for it, you find you can't see it. You can't get at it, and you can't be rid of it. And when you do neither, there it is. Huh? When you are silent, it speaks. And when you speak, it is silent. When you are not, it is. And when you are, it is not. Your absence is its presence. Your presence is its absence. Hmm? You think of color, of size, of number. The mind is moving. Don't move. Huh? Just remain with yourself. Let the mind remain with the mind. Being alert to yourself. And you are so alert then that you can hear it speak. You are so alert that your presence is removed, and its presence is all there is. Hmm? Yeah. Sorry, I took so long. And now, may the peace and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate 
one from another. And I do thank you very much. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.